As jy in hierdie pot goeie luister, is jy deel van ons internetfamilie en baie welkom by nog een uitsending van Hamster Reformeerde Gemeentes Olifans Rivier Valheid Boodskappe. Jan en Chantel Oosthuizen spits hulle daarop hoofdzakelijk toe om verhoudings te reformeer op grond van die woord van God. Dit behels een weie spektrum van verhoudings. Hulle bied ook verskye programme aan op radio in Makkoland, as ook verskye kampusseminare en daggeleendere tot die doel van verhouding reformatie. Volger is Jan en Chantel's persoonlijke blog of webjournaal of luister naar die radioprogram Dagbreek op Radio in Magoland 93.4 FM. Besoek ook www.hrco.co.za en janenchantelooshuizen.com Je luister nou na Jan Oosthuizen met die boodskap van die week. It's a great honor to be here this morning. You know, when when there's a storm, you want to know that the captain knows where he's going and that we're not lost. And it's important that in this COVID-19 storm that the world finds itself, that the church has not lost direction and that the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, is still plotting the course of exactly where we're going and what our purpose should be. So this morning I'm, you know, I'm preaching to you guys, but I'm also preaching to those online, and uh, we have closed our meetings uh, in our area for two weeks, and so I believe some of our folk is also saying hello. So hello, there you go. Say hello for Sari and, and, you know, and Ali Mensida. <laughs> so... Uh, this, this morning I want to bring a, an apostolic message in an apostolic church about the governmental local church. God has a plan for the locality and the church and locality. And, and what online has done is fantastic. It's, it's connecting us to the universal church. And we are universally linked um, via non-geographical borders to link up with people all over the world. And it's fantastic. It's a wonderful privilege. But I, I, like I said, in a storm, you must, once you go off course, and you know, there's been a, sometimes you have to navigate around the storm, but you still have a course. You still have an end goal where you are trying to reach. And if you remember, Master and Commander is a beautiful movie that enact some of that. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to navigate through quite a, a lot of stuff. So if you go onto our website, hrco.co.za, you go under resources and sermon, you will actually get the blog of this sermon as well. So um, I would say don't write too much down except, you know, what God speaks to you because there's quite a, a lot of content that I need to cover this morning. This message this morning is intended to be a, a message of hope. Because I can't change your financial situation. I can't give you employment uh, after you've lost your job. You know, I can't you know, just get all the miracles to happen. But I can give you apostolic perspective. And I'm hoping that through perspective this morning, that we will at the end of this year gain new strength. How many of you need strength? You know, once you're tired and you go, oh, I can't go on anymore, but someone pots a course and say that's the way you should go, you get strength. You say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish this. So we're going to look at the Ephesians model. And uh, Ephesians is an incredible uh, story in the Bible. It is said 
that it is the one single church in the whole of the New Testament that is covered for 44 years of history. So from its inception in 53 AD when Paul was traveling from Corinth to Jerusalem and on his way there he came to this city that's called the Gateway to Asia. And uh, as he quickly just, you know, sort of spent a few days there to recuperate, it's at this time that he went and ministered at a synagogue, planted a church. It's like a very quick church plant, left Priscilla and Aquila there so that they can now pastor this church. We know that they were doctrinally very accurate because they uh, took Apollos aside and showed him a more, um, Engels, Afrikaans, what's it in Engels, a more excellent way. And, uh, and so if you read, I'm going to cover a lot of base this morning. So are you guys there? All right. So uh, pray with me that I'll make it. I'll pray for you that you make it. Is that a sort of agreement? All right. So, <clears throat> you know, to me, one of the most in- interesting chapters in the book of Acts is, the, is Acts 19. And uh, if you go read Acts 19 which will be this morning sort of the framework of, of what I want to share, is um, yeah, just an incredible playoff. You know, it's like in the Old Testament, the big playoff of all playoffs in the Old Testament is Elijah bringing fire and calling fire from heaven. That's sort of a, a big national sort of scale scene. And if you go into the New Testament, the riot in Ephesus and how God saved the people from, you know, from persecution in that riot, and how he's actually prepared a town clerk to sort of disperse this whole thing. And uh, I was in a, in a protest action involved a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it found, you know, felt very close to home when uh, they're burning tires and doing all kinds of crazy things less than a kilometer from your home. And then it's like, okay, now, okay, and then I need to dig in and find the right scripture to get perspective in this scenario. How many of you felt this morning, this was my awareness, that we were standing on holy ground? If we say that we're in the presence of God, we are in the presence of royalty, which means we are in the king's court. You know, when you are in the king's court, uh, you, you do things differently. You don't tell all your mother jokes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like you're in, in royalty. And, and this is what happened this morning, is that, you know, while we're worshiping and we were just enjoying our time, and, 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 and when Apostle Lee was singing about, you know, making a, a vineyard in the desert and speaking apostolic governmental stuff, do you know that when we're in the presence of God, we are in territorial governmental space? I want to revive this thinking this morning, you know, that um, the church is a governmental agency. It has a governmental purpose. It has a royal destiny. It is, uh, you know, Jesus came and he started preaching very much nationalistic terms. He was talking about a new kingdom and he's talking about he will throw down this temple and rebuild it in three days. You know, that's sort of revolutionary talk of Malema tries to do that. I mean, it's revolutionary. And, and Jesus did that. You know, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this thing. And then Jesus prophesied, and he says that a time will come, and, and he prophesied to the mother, says, beware that if you're going to be surviving in Jerusalem at this time, you, you know, your babies and so forth. And literally, in 70 AD, 
You saw the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And you sort of have that same scenario in, in Acts, in, in, in Acts 19, where, just think about it. The goddess of Diana, Artemis, was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was possibly the most popular religion of the time. Because it was to do with fertility, and obviously everyone wants their lands to be blessed and wants to have children and so forth. So, you know, to serve this God and, and bring your babies and all that was the sort of the in thing, that one of the greatest temples. And if you look at my sermon notes, uh, the original sort of idea of this Parthenon kind of temple is awesome. It's like a huge thing. It's like intimidating. If you would... You know, be in New York and stand next to the Empire State Building, you're intimidated. I mean, it's a huge you know, phenomenon. You know, South Africa don't have that sort of big stuff. But imagine yourself standing next to Table Mountain, and Table Mountain is the epicenter of all culture and all worship and all religion, and then a sort of a rabbi there from Galilee, Nazareth, little farming community called Clan William, and he comes around and says, I'm going to bring this thing down and rebuild it in three days. You know, and then this sort of reenactment. Then in Ephesus, you know, in two and a half years, they preached the gospel. I will come into the detail now. And the end of this religion, there is no more traces of Diana worship anywhere in the world. It's like that temple is destroyed about 270 AD. Uh, nothing of it exists. And it's because of an accurate church understanding its governmental authority that break down that establishment. I want you to understand this morning that we're not aspiring to royalty. It's already a gift. I'm not trying to be a king. I'm not trying to be a ruler. I'm not trying to be a statesman. I am it by the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's part of what we received in Him. Now, if you take this, it, just a few words I want to break down. You know, we all know our great commission, and this is church's commission to go. So, in Matthew 18, 20, 20, uh, 19, 28, 28, 19, there you go. Um, you know, I'm translating at the speed of light in my head. Just, just have grace here. Uh, the word disciple, uh, and I'm going to give you a new sort of modern twist on the word disciple, means to learn someone and to be attached to one's teacher to become a follower in doctrine and conduct in life. So it's like being a coach, and how many of you aspire to be a coach or something? You know, I'm also a coach, business coaching and stuff. And it's really what you're saying is that we should go and coach mentor as the superior mind to the lesser and guide them to a whole new conduct and a whole new life. That's when he says, go and disciple the nations. So we should actually all be mentors and consultants to the government. Okay, am I, is that logical? The word nation is actually interesting as the word ethos. And this is interesting because, you see, Africa, the continent of Africa, has 2,200 ethnic groups. And somewhere in the colonial times, eight, nine countries sat in a boardroom in England, and they divided this whole country, and I don't know how many states, and they said, that's how many states and countries and nationalities we have, and you take that, and you take that. 
And, and since then, Africa has been in turmoil because we don't understand ethnic groupings. Nowadays, it's, it's a whole new ballgame because people now move in their ethnicities into an area like Durbanville. And now you find the Chinese and the Arabs and the whoever, the Afrikaners, the Bulkis, you know, and the sort of liberal English and some colors to provide flavor. Hallelujah. I love the Lord for the colored people. They always bring emotions to the table. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, and all these different, you know, and you have the black people and they have the rhythm and they don't sleep. They, they, they listen to radio all through the night. I'm going, who, who, who listens to that stuff while you're sleeping? I don't know. You know so, but how many of you know that in if every ethnic, ethnic tribe is enslaved by something. That's the whole problem with ethnicity, is that you have a pharaoh in every tribe and in every ethnic group that either controls and you have all this kind of, in our you know, little town, Clan William, we have about half of the people living there are the Sutus, and they, you know, they have this whole thing about the dead had to be buried and this, you know, it's a whole long, very expensive procedure. So it cost a, a very poor family in our area about 15,000 rand to go bury the dead in the Eastern Cape. Because they have a mindset. They are enslaved by that mindset. That's the way to do and you, that's how you honor the dead and so forth. And I'm going, guys, you need to practice. That money could be spent, yeah, for, with the survivors to, to raise a better income, but you need to break down. So there's a lot of discipling, coaching, that must happen in the ethnic groupings. And now, how many of you know that the company can be an ethos? Um, so you have... Different ethos in a nationality, in a town, in a business, in a family, in a school. This school has a certain ethos. So, you understand? So, to put it differently, is that the world is gathered in an ethos circle of an ecosystem, and God has called us as a church to bring government, to bring, to bring statementship, and to bring redemption to that ethos. I want to say today that we are, as leaders of the church, not just called to a local church, but I believe God from the beginning intended leaders to also be leaders of the whole city, the location. I'm going to show you why I say that. You see, if you go back into, into uh, Genesis, Genesis, as we understand Eden, Eden is talked about as a garden, but if you go and look into the notes of I have a whole essay just on this one topic. But Eden uh, speaks of an enclosed garden, a walled garden. It means there's, a, there's access control. It means that there's a, it's a mountain. It's referred to as a mountain, and it's ref, referred to as the place of rulership. It's a place where God conducted his business. Of all the creation stories that existed in, in Mesopotamia, the, the, the Christian or biblical Jewish um, creation story is different because you think about Zeus and all these other God stories. Our story is the only one where God chooses to rule among his creation. And he allows them to rule with him. So I want you to get this, that God intended us to rule from the beginning. What is sin? Is you're not ruling, someone else is ruling. 
your habit is ruling, your sin is ruling, your mind is ruling, your emotions are ruling, people are ruling. That's the whole problem of sin. So if we become into the righteousness of God, we regain our rule, our authority, our kingship back from the Lord so that we can rule. Amen. So from the beginning, God wandered us in Eden in the habitat. And by the way, just so that you get this, is that another word for Eden is city. Because it's all metaphors. Remember, if he talks about Jerusalem, he's talking about Jerusalem as a temple, a city, a mountain, Zion, uh, you know, a particular boundary of place. And he speaks of that of Jerusalem. So in the Old Testament, God's glory was located in one place where you had a, a sort of circles of influence from the temple being this epicenter, the holies of holies, the, you know, the inner court outer court, and then the, you know, the, the levels of people living, remember the Moses, Jethro model um, of how these families and the families take order. Now that is a pattern for how God wants to order cities. That's a pattern how God wants to restore order in the locality. So I received, just recently, I, it woke into me, and it's been something that's been percolating in my spirit, that I'm not just called to be the apostle of Harvest Church as you know, the few members that we have, I am actually an apostle to the locality so that I can bring back God's reign into, into that area. Now let me give you another word before we get into Ephesus, is the word ecclesia. Now ecclesia, interestingly enough, is also is a, is a Roman word that is a powerful word that means to bring Bring order. I'm going to just find my notes here. Somewhere it's in here. There you go. Ecclesia, by its original definition, is a governmental assembly to implement the pattern, the logos, the measurement, the doctrine, the values, the structures, and practices of the reigning kingdom into the old nation. This is how the Jews, uh, the, the Romans, uh, what they call inculturalization, so they come into an area. It's a Jewish nation. Now the Romans come in there. So now the Romans have a new economic system. They have a new system of law. They have a new system of health. They have a new system of kingship and rule and so forth. And, they, and the ecclesia was the public official gathering of officials to implement the new authority in town. So are you getting this so far? Church is not just supposed to be a gathering of people that sing a few songs on a Sunday and hear a nice sermon and then we go out and do whatever we want to. A church in a location is called to be light, it's called to be salt, it's called to be a governmental agency for God. Now, the reigning kingdom establishes the rule. Are you with me? So the Romans, who's now the reigning kingdom, come in, and there's no sort of argument. The battle has been won. So the, 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 the Roman ecclesia would come together, and they would just basically plan. They will strategize how they're going to change the harbor, how they're going to change the economy, how they're going to, where they're going to build a library, where they're going to do the aqueduct, where they're going to do the roads. And for being nice, they call the citizens in and say, well, we're just going to let you know what we're doing. How many know that South Africa needs something like this at this point? We don't need another political party, but we need the church that can enter into a location that can begin to offer 
kingdom official, royal statesman advice on how God wants to order the world. You know, that we are in this mess because we're not ordering the world and society the way God intended to be. We're in this mess economically because this, you know, we, we even now have COVID because of the disparity between the poor and the rich was never supposed to go so far because God never intended a capitalist economy that only favors a few. God's economy has always been a, a jubilant economy of mutuality that he unlocks to the poor. The poor can get to pick up some of the harvest and they, they don't get it for free. They're going to have to go and work and pick it up so that they can have income and, and restoration. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. So, whew, just go. That was the introduction. All right, I'm not getting into the meat yet. I'm just building a context. Are you with me? So are, are you there? Is anyone here ready to rule? All right, here we go. Ephesians 1 verse 9. Ephesians 1 verse 9 to 10. This is making known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, pleasure, which he purposed in him unto a dispensation of the fullness of times to sum up all things in Christ, the things in the heavens, and the things upon the earth in him. Say amen. amen. So that's a memory verse. Ephesians 1.10. What is it saying? Well, this is God's, you know, if, you, if, you, if the new king arrives, he wrote a law. He says, this is the way I will run things. This is what I want to establish. You're going to have Roman emblems. You're going to have Roman statues. You're going to have a Roman culture. This is how it's going to work. So God announces his kingdom when he says, my kingdom is at hand in Jesus Christ. But here we have an example. Remember, Ephesians model is the longest model, 44 years, that we saw the enactment of what Jesus said and a local company of people that are actually doing it. And we learn from them mistakes and what they've been doing. And this is why we're studying it. So we can understand what we ought to do. Is anyone with me? So Ephesians 1.9 is God's declaration to humanity. What is God's heart for Clan William, for Durbanville, for Barrow, for, for wherever we are located? The ethos where God has given us influence is he wants to sum up all things in Christ. Christ is the only sustainable anything. I mean, you, your vision isn't sustainable if it's not in Christ. Because if you know, a, a vision without Christ is ambition. Uh, an economic drive without Christ leads to materialism. I mean, I wrote the whole thing about it. So you need to put Christ in the center of, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you do welfare, the way our country and government is doing it without Christ, we become a wealthy state being dependent on welfare. That's not God's system for welfare. God's system of welfare is enablement. I mean, his disciples, the, the poor Jewish fishermen, nobodies, in three months, he sent them out and said, go and drive out demons, heal the sick, and tell the people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Three months. That goes like enablement. This state is keeping people poor by a wealthy state mentality. We need to get Christ into that mindset. Is anyone here? Second verse. Ephesians 3 verse 10. So this is God's purpose. The first one I gave you was God's purpose for humanity. 
We have a biblical mandate as God's officials, as His ambassadors, as a royal priesthood called in His name. I mean, just think of all the terms that we are called by. It's all governmental terms. We are there to be mediators of a new covenant. We are there to be, you know, it's governmental terms. You're talking about government officials. So say, just say this to your neighbor if you are saved. Hi, brother. Hi, sister. Isn't this great to work in this government agency called the kingdom of God? What kind of official are you? <laughs> All right. Because God has given us different roles here to play. Now, here's it. Here's, the, here's God's mandate to his agency, his agency of government that represents his kingdom in the earth. He says, so that now to the rulers and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I'm, I'm saying, I can't, you know, I'm saying huge things and I don't have time to explain it. So you just have to receive it by faith. But, but just think about it. Whenever we have creches, we can build as many schools as we like. We can, uh, uh, you know, unleash a new economic system so that everyone will have work and become like Switzerland that is, you know, almost paganistic at this point of view. So you can do all these social things, but if you're not teaching people the knowledge of God. They don't have a blueprint. They don't have a map. They don't have a, a sequence. They don't have a pattern. They don't have an habit structure that gives them sense and purpose. You know how many people now that we are richer than ever before in, the, in, the, in, ever in humanity, we've never been richer than at this point. Don't think that people tell COVID has made us poor. There's more money traveling and moving in the earth right now than ever before. Okay? So, but what's the problem? More suicides, more people on the antidepressants. I mean, the whole thing COVID taught us is that we had our, our time wrong. You know, we spent time with our families because we've just been working 16, 17, 18 hour days. It's the wrong structure. It's the wrong pattern. It's no, you know, that's why humanity looks like it is. So, I want you to understand this. Write this down. The single most important purpose for our church agency, the government representative of God in the earth, is to make known the world, the knowledge of God. How many know that's a big business? I mean, that's a lot of work. We need to train people how to do marriages God's way, how to do raise children God's way, how to do their finances God's way, how to farm God's way, how to do health God's way. I mean, it's just, we're going to be busy because that's what we're busy with, is to teach people the knowledge of God. Amen. Now, this is fundamental that you understand this. And this is to me the saddest thing if I look at what's happening in the church globally is the act of rulership is not a quest. It's done. Now let's go into Ephesians. From chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's a feel, remember Paul, uh, the, the, the church in Ephesus is now you know, up and going. It's a couple of years, we guess around 20, 30 years into the existence of this church, where Paul writes the book Ephesians. And the book Ephesians is the, you know, scholars and Bible scholars will say it is the most precise, most comprehensive 
theology for the church. It's, the, it's a new ecclesiology, they say. So if you want to build a church, read Ephesians. Because it's a blueprint of how we conduct this business, what we call church. Now, first of all, chapter 1 and 2 deals with one single thing is to tell us we rule. I mean, let me go through Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things under his feet and gave them to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. Hmm. The devil has been lying to us because we, we're praying a little bit harder and we sing a little bit more and we do this and we do that so we think we're going to get some authority that we don't have. Listen, you already have it as part of your righteousness in Christ Jesus. And it's not you know, a sort of authority that you can be arrogant about because you haven't worked for it. You haven't sweated for it. That's why Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that this glory of government and rule and authority comes as a grace into my life. Amen. You know, and I look at the church and I'm going, why, you know, listen, I can't all right? You know, you need to appropriate this. If you can appropriate your salvation, you appropriate your healing, you appropriate in Christ Jesus your power to overcome sin. How many have received power to overcome sin? You know, when you speak in tongues, you appropriate a heavenly, dogmatic new language. Every time we are in the presence of God, we're in the presence of royalty. We're in the presence of kings. We're in the presence of rulers. Every time we worship, we're not just singing songs. It's not kumbayani. There's spiritual things happening. Come on. When we sing, when we get together, and we get the frequency of the heart of the Father, what do you want to do right now? It's like, you know, Apostle uh, Carl spoke to me. He says, Jan, we as a church should have an eagle perspective where we have a sort of a big picture perspective, but then the eagle narrows down and hits its target precisely. And this is what's happened as a church. Through apostolic, you know, we unlock the mysteries. We unlock the, you know, people say to me, I don't understand church. Yes, because you've not been listening. You've been, not been, take, been paying attention and possibly not listening to an apostle. There's something that apostles unlock because they understand the big picture. But then there's moments where he says, guys, this Saturday, we're going to go into town and we're going to feed some hungry people. That's the strategy for this weekend. Anyone here? Well, God says, we're going to do a prayer event here at the school. We're going to you know, come and pray for the, for the teachers or whatever God gives us to do. So, you know, there's this whole time that we come together, we hear frequency, we get the bigger picture, and then we go into the specific places where God wants to give us authority. Oh, man, that means an awesome skip. Just turn to the guy next to you and see we, it's becoming clearer now. <laughs> Amen. All right. Now, this is big. If we talk government, there's always resistance. It's not like 
the subjected agencies just surrender control? <laughs> How many know that this is true? It's not like, so I want you to understand, if you go and study this, there's a whole section, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but it's back to you know, what's happening in Ephesians 9, uh, Acts 19, and it gets explained in Ephesians very clearly, that there's a spiritual playoff. Expect a spiritual playoff. And God loves to make a big scene. Why? Go study the scriptures. Does he place Daniel and a lion's den story right in the middle of a king's story? You know, Daniel was a government agency, a, a sort of a foreshadow of what we as a church should be, and three heathen pagan kings, of which Nebuchadnezzar must have been the most narcissistic, evil person that ever crawled on this planet. And even him acknowledged that the God of Daniel is the true God. What are we churches doing? What is the church doing? What is our, what's our call? To make known? The knowledge of God. The manifold wisdom, the knowledge of God. That is our purpose. So, in Ephesus, this happened. I want you to just, uh, you know, I'm going to go a little bit wide here. But the famous, if you go back to Acts 19, you see the supernatural happen. And I believe this is where the church have missed it. We, we may have got principle one. Know that the authority has already been given. You need to pray, pray. That's level one. But level two is God, God's way of conquering is the supernatural. Healing, signs, wonders, gifts, the supernatural. And you can look at this. Even, even Ephesus dropped out when it comes to the spiritual. How many know that he says in, um, I think it is, you can just check with me, I think it's Mark, is it Mark 12, 24, where he says, by this you will know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, by the, the fact that I drive out demons. So there's a, a very visible sign that there's a battle, but the battle is spiritual. So what happens, Paul prays for the sick, handkerchiefs <laughs> and aprons. Now you can go study this in the word. The Greek word for the, the one, the handkerchief, is a sweat cloth. It's the thing you wipe your brow. It's literally what it means. It's near sneer dukini. A what? It's not a tissue. <laughs> now this is interesting. Now get this. While they were physically working, sweating, the miracles was happening. Are you getting this? Aprons is the, the stuff they hang around themselves. Now this is to me clever, guys, is that we need to get the power of God working in every ethos. Remember, I spoke ethos, ethos, locality. Where has God positioned you? Lebanet, you must pray for healing and miracles with those clients that come. Leon, when you get into that farm, you do some chemical miracles, but then you say, let's pray. And then you speak a word, and you prophesy to that harvest, and something miraculous appears, and God breaks through. Come on, people. Now, in COVID time, I want, I'm very serious. This is one of the most primary things 
uh, and aspects of the kingdom that we need to reclaim. And in the same way, then the first principle, we didn't acquire kingship, rulership by anything we've done, or position, or, and, you know, even our character, nothing. We've acquired it simply as being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But secondly, is we've acquired the power to do healing signs, miracles, and wonders. Amen. And just imagine... Right now, if we go into our neighbors that we, you know, you come with no our next meeting on But you, I mean, how many know that there's sick happening all over now? Church, it's, it's in the most opportune time we've ever had to trust God for raising the dead, to trust God for healing the sick like never before. I'm shivers all right now saying this. We're going to see a greater outpour of God's Spirit than ever. Because it's the Ephesian model, it's the Ephesian governmental structure that God wants to bring order. You know, God will not legitimize authority without giving us authority. He doesn't give us a title without giving us the oomph. The world likes to give you titles, but no oomph. We have the oomph. Say to the guy, I have the oomph. If Brian Adams was here, he says, I got the power. All right, and, and you know what, wherever we go, we, we're going to have to go, I've got the power. I was counseling this week, you know, even when Chantal gives up. So I, I, I gave up. I saw this couple, I said, Lord Jesus. I said to them, they're sitting there, the two of them. It's now, I don't know how many times we've tried to help them and they're fighting, almost killing one another every time. And then I help them a little bit, then it's peace for two weeks, and then they kill one another again. And I always want to go, just go ahead. <laughs> but now they have four children and it's a disaster. And in that moment, I said to them, I'm going to say, I said, do you know that you are with the best of the best? Do you know that you're possibly with the best mediator in South Africa? And you're so useless that I can't fix you. <laughs> I, was, I don't know what I was trying to do. And uh, I was just, you know, just releasing my despair. And the next moment, by a word of knowledge, God turned that situation. The two of them repented, tears going. I mean, man, God did something amazing and I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> How many know that, you know, that's what Jesus wants? I mean, it's not in the effort. It's just in the availability to hear God's voice and let Him do the supernatural through you. Amen and amen. The third, I'm, I'm going to share four principles, so don't get too tired on me. But, uh, this, you know, it's ingredients, and I mean, this is a book. I mean, you can I'll do a whole book on this. But the next one is important. If you go into Ephesians 3 and 4, it now reiterates a most fundamental kingdom perspective that the church has to regain, and that is, we can only be one humanity in Christ Jesus. The only way we're Jew and Gentile, male and female, Roman you know, and, and non-Roman, where all this ethos can become one humanity before God, where he's the sum total of all things, is in Christ.
The church is the answer to South Africa's racial problem. There's no other agency that can bring races together, that can bring rich and poor together, that can harmonize communities and bring them to work together. The only agent people that can do that is the church. Very clear. Our absence in the arena of mediation and arbitration and, and bringing peace in our communities is, is, is a tragedy. Because it's like God is giving us rule over this place. And we're not there. We're not on our post. We're not in the places. You know what? When there's, a, when there's a breakout in the school and there's division, you should be the ones that are called to bring mediation in that school. We are, you know, if you look at the Roman Empire, well, what did they do? They built schools and all that. What did we do? Our first job is to be reconcilers, reconcile people back to God, back to themselves, back to one another, back to take responsibility of the natural resources, reclaim the connection that God created us for. Say amen. Ephesians 2 verse 18 says that there are no Jew, Gentile, male or female. There's a new set of values. And in Acts 19 verse 10 says, So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. It's interesting. So, so you have a Bible school. So say Bible school. Bible school is the agency where we learn the Jesus culture. All of us have to get rid of our old cultures. There are some things in Africana culture that I have to get rid of. Black people need to get rid of That doesn't mean I become a black man. I like being white. All right? You know, and each one of us, we are all different. That's fine. And we have different kinds of music and different food and all that. That's fine. That's, that's a hallelujah. That's ligerish all sorts. We don't supposed to be all look like one another. But in terms of values, in terms of how we live and integrity and how we govern and how we rule and how we do things in terms of character, ethos and you know, ethics and morality, uh, there's a new Christ-centered culture that we all need to acquire, and we acquire it through the Word. It's interesting, just for your notes, that this is Harvester, isn't it? Harvester has always been a Bible school-centered church. Why? Because it's in Bible school that all of us unlearn our former cultures, our former way of thinking, so that we can come into the new culture that is Jesus Christ. Say amen. So he did that six days a week, Bible school from nine to three, two years. Let me say it out straight. If you want to be in the kingdom of God an official, I mean no official gets to work in the government without training, all right, then you should complete at least two years of Bible school. So that you can learn and acquire. Now, the next thing is important because you see, God is not into titles and names and all that. How many know that we serve a family? God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The essence of family is made up in God. If you take God out of family, we have what we have right now. If you make God the center of family, husband, wives, and children, families become the bedrock of society. So, here's the interesting note. Do you know that there's not a tribe in a nation on this planet that has been more persecuted than the Jews? Is everyone in agreement? I mean, they've been brought to extinction so many times that, I mean, it's crazy. Now, you, you know, uh, Annie, you guys can agree with me or not. 
But the absolute fundamental essence of being a Jew is the role of the family and the role of the father. Interesting enough that in Judaism, the role of the father gets explained with work. It's not good enough to say, oh, the man and the priestess in the eyes. A normal guy don't know what that means. A normal guy wants to play soccer, wash his car, wash his car, and, uh, and watch more soccer. I mean, <laughs> really, you know, so in Judaism, the, it's, it's rolled out on the Sabbath, on the Friday night. The father is being told what he should pray and what he should not pray and what he should say and what he should teach and da 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 and da 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 And it's like, I, I want to do it, but I have to do it. You know, I'm the father. It's like, and, and the thing is, with all this stuff happening of working and employing all this, because the family unit is restored. The culture is restored. The culture is healed. How do you know that this is the single most fundamental thing that we need to get right in our nation? Now let me bore you. Households of? What do we call our households? Our churches? Households of faith. What is that? It's called family. I believe the role of the church is to destine and commission house church leaders as elders. They are elders. They are pastors. They, they take care of their family. And they literally have to bring up. How many know that we need to bring up some children in the church? Some of them have no manners. Because there are some Greek ways and some Roman ways that need to be clapped out of them. All right? It happens in a house church. Is that right? It happens in families where there's care, where there's, you know, intrusiveness. <laughs> in churches, it's like, I can come and sit here and look holy and go out and sin. No one knows. But how many know in a family where we get involved in one another's lives and this family unit is being built and restored? Man. So why do you think in the whole book of Ephesians, there's almost two chapters about the role of the father, the role of the wife, the role of the children, the role of the slave. Why? Because God wants to restore families. Say hooray. That's what we want to do. That's how we bring back God's order. That's what a governmental church do. Next one, last one, is a new economy. Now, to me, this is interesting. Why Ephesus? Ephesus was called the gateway to Asia. And in two years, everyone knew of the gospel of the kingdom. In two years, in all of Asia. So there's a day in Pentecost because of the supernatural outpouring of God's spirit. What happens with they now by, on a force by law in this country, expropriation without compensation happens by the spirit where people moved by the spirit sold land and gave sold houses and gave and then there's this verse that sounds like socialism but it's only possible in the holy spirit in this new kind of family in god's new government and there was no one who lacked how many have been dreaming about that you can't get there until you've sort of done these other steps. <laughs> Amen. 
Because, you know, we, our church has been giving out through our apostolic fund thousands, hundreds and thousands of rands per, per year helping people. You know what I found? It's, it's waste. We're just giving money to support people, but they haven't learned how to be good stewards of their money. They haven't learned how to work with their money. Um, they're in this mess because they don't know how to work with their money. So interestingly, I want you to see, back to Ephesus uh, in Acts 19, is that... They brought a whole trade industry to its knees. The silversmiths, you know the story. And, and the riot was an economic riot. And right now, let me tell you something. In this time in South Africa, there's 488 protest actions per year in South Africa. And all of them are related with one single issue. It's called inclusion. One friend of mine says, Jan, you're going to burn on a stake for what you're saying. But think about it. There are too many people. I mean, there's five retailers in our whole country that, that controls the whole retail. If you're a farmer in this country, you want to sell something, you need to get into that value chain. You can. It's almost impossible. But, and, and there's thousands and thousands of people unemployed in this country. How many know that we, know we need a new economic system? And it will happen in two ways. A jubilant that happens by the Spirit and is already happening, where God is working in people's hearts by the Spirit to give. It's not legislated. It's not done by law. It's done by the heart. And secondly, it's good stewardship. It's good stewardship. Because you know, the whole biblical principle of economics is be faithful and least, and you will grow to more. You can't give someone a, a, a multi-million dollar company and he's only sweeping the floor. Do you know there's a Bible verse that says it's very sad and tragic when a slave rules over princes. This is a verse like that. All right. So the, the point is this, is we need to co-labor together so that we can aspire in our whole economy, an economy of good stewardship. Taking the resources, multiplying it. Taking the resources and, and being a blessing to that what I have. Let me go and say to you right now, I believe that we're going to go back and we're going to see more people now making private things, making their own stuff. It's already happening. We already, you know, the other day I saw a lady, uh, I heard about a lady coming into a coffee shop, had a fancy handbag. Uh, the person at our church started talking to her and said, well, I have a lovely handbag. She says, yes, I make it by hand. She says, but uh, she saw a card and she works for sort of a, a senior position in an agency. She says, but I do this for extra income. And how many know that young people now with Instagram, they're looking at how things are made and they begin to want to make things again. And we're going to see more handwork. We're going to see um, back from globalization to localization. We're going to see from centralization back to decentralization where we will see local economies uh, uh, unwrapping and, and, and beginning to work again. We are at the moment um, starting... Uh, with our local business chamber, uh, collaboratives. You're going to hear this word a lot now, is that you see coalitions and collaboratives where communities are coming together and they say, listen, you know, we can't have so many poor on our doorstep and it's gonna, it infringes when our wall goes so high. We need to do something and we need to be inclusive. And one of our senior guys of Ferrebosch in our, in our little town said the following. He says, guys, it's not like we want to. It's like we don't have a choice. For this economy to work, this is where we're going to move. So I want to say that a governmental church unlocks resources. How? How? How does he do it? Networking. Remember, our work is not to make the money. Our work is to bring the people together. 
Bringing people into the knowledge of God. Amen? And when we bring people together to God, new economies, you know, do you know that there's only, how many? There's about, how much is on a sign, periodica tabel, how many elements? Let's say this study, all right? Nowadays, it's close to 100. Because the chairs we're sitting on and the stuff we're wearing is that people are remixing elements. And by remixing it, they're doing all kinds of new innovations. And we're going to come into a time of innovation and creativity because of the church people. It's a governmental legacy. It's a governmental bringing that we do. And I'm going to end. There's a warning. Revelation 2. Go read uh, this about the church in Ephesus. It says, I praise you for this. I praise you for your steadfastness. I praise you that you dealt with the Nicolaitans. I praise you that... You stood up for what is right. He says, but I have one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. And you stopped doing the first works. And here's the sad truth, people. The church in Ephesus died in 2nd BC. Today, Turkey is run by Muslims. And less than 0.2% of that nation is Christians. Because somewhere, the church lost this pattern. Became busy with other things, I don't know. And it lost its position. And another culture came over and took that place. If the church in South Africa, the prophetic guys in my sphere is talking about 18 months. That's about two months ago. Three, four, they say about 15 months left. There's a window opening in South Africa that we need to move in position. We need to move into the governmental positions that God has given us. We need to move into the places of influence that God has given us. And we need to not to wait. We need to declare God's plans and God's purposes. How many know that society is waiting for this? Um, since I and our little town began to just discuss plans on Facebook, to my own surprise, the whole community is saying, that's a good plan, we're with you. <laughs> People are waiting for someone to start saying, this is it. And I believe it's the time, guys. It's not me. It's the grace. You know the Bible says, pray for rain in a time of rain. This is it. This is the grace that God is releasing right now. And we need to wake up. You know there's businesses and companies, and I felt like doing it this morning, and I don't know who's listening online. But this ministry blessed us beyond expectation to be here today. And Apostle Arjun and myself, we were talking about this, and I said, wow, thank you. He says, I'm trusting God for a whole new breed of church planters. We, we actually look so well after our pastors that pastors, again, aspire to be pastors. <laughs> and they're actually happy about being in the ministry. Not because they're just suffocating and struggling, you know, struggling and that, that, that. And I'm saying, yes, there's companies out there that read the times. And then they will fund the new political party because they see vested interest that this party will unlock certain things for them. I'm speaking to the businessmen right now, and I believe God's going to give up. There's going to be someone today that's going to give an offering for this message, for this, not us, but for this hope in our country. 
It is now time, if you're a business person, to invest in the church. It is now time to invest in a local church that can actually have governmental authority in a locality, that can change things. You know, great to have a universal church and universal Facebook, universal, all this stuff. It's great. It's awesome. I'm in it. I'm, I'm doing that too. But there's a place in a locality where God wants to bring His kingdom come. He will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And we need a businessman that can come around and say, we're going to back you. We, we love this message you're talking about. Because we have the answer for I mean, you know that we have an answer for education. We have an answer for economy. We have an answer, biblical knowledge of God, answer for healthy families and for healthy marriages. It's time for the church to rise, people. God is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will say in the church's darkest hour will be His most glorious light. This is the time for the church. And I believe God wants to unlock finances. He wants to unlock, because we need money to do this. We need to train and get people into full-time positions in these localities to do things, to get into that, to start working and, and, and officiating God's rule of peace in the land. Everyone stand. How many of you are excited? Come on now. Hallelujah. Let us just start praying. Just start praying in tongues. Just pray with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray right now. I call the young people. I call the, the teenagers, the brilliant minds, the, the coders and, and programmers, the software developers, the media experts. Father, I call forth the artists. I call forth the businessmen. I call forth the educators. I call forth the health practitioners. I call forth the government agency members, Father, in government and that has authority and positions in places and companies. Father, we call forth your church and let the gates of hell not prevail against it. Father, we we pray that you will today, that you will refresh us, that you will reset us back to your original purpose, which is a governmental purpose, which is a governmental uh, destiny and mandate that you've given us. Father, forgive us for abdicating. Forgive us for becoming lazy. Forgive us for our own self-interest. Forgive us, Lord, that we murmur and complain when there's a job at hand. Father, we don't look at these governments of the earth. They come and go. We don't look at the presidents of the earth. We pray for them. We bring them before the Lord. Your government is established and it will not be shaken. You are the ruler of peace. You are the God of peace. And your kingdom will not and cannot be shaken. So Father, I pray today that you will give us a spur of insight, that you will enlighten the minds of our understanding, that we might know the calling that you have given us. Lord, that we will understand the greatness of your power that you have made available to those who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Lord, I pray today that we will understand and have a clear vision of the inheritance that we have obtained with all the saints by faith, not by works, not by flesh, not by sweat, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. 
I pray, Lord, today, and I thank you for this church. I honor this church. I honor this church for being a governmental agency, for standing, for remaining, as, as was said this morning, as Apostle Lee said, stand firm in your faith. And Father, we ask you today that we will be strengthened. Just pray for yourself. Say, Lord, I strengthen myself in the Lord. I strengthen myself, my spirit, my emotions this morning. I strengthen my mind. Lord, we are not, we are not given into circumstances. We're not given into COVID-19 regulations. We have a higher authority that speaks in us. So Father, I pray today that the God of peace will soon crush, crush Satan under our feet. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us a commission of peace. You have given us a commission of healing. You've given us a commission of restoration. You have called us as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, so that we can come and be what you've called us to be. And everyone say, amen and amen. Give God the glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.